the lodge where old and new friends gather for discussion and camaraderie, where the serious and trivial are debated with equal intensity. So pull up a chair to the fire and welcome to the Southern Lodge. Hey everybody, uh, Southern Lodge podcast coming to y'all after a couple weeks off. We apologize for that. We've been a little busy, gotten a little behind. Uh, tonight you got Aaron and Michael coming at you. Uh, how you doing tonight, Aaron? Michael, I'm sad. I'm sad because it's been it's been two tough weeks for the Bulldogs, man. So with my glass of Southern Lodge sweet tea tonight, this is definitely this is a sad beverage. This is not a happy beverage. I imagine you've been drinking uh, a little bit more of that than you usually do after these two weeks. Well, look, we all know Southern Lodge sweet tea is a non-alcoholic Christian beverage, okay? But when I'm at when I'm at the football game and I'm tailgating, uh, the past couple of weeks my drink of choice has been something a little lighter, you know, mm. a little light beer, you know, just a few. And uh, after that Kentucky game, though, I've switched to the hard stuff. I want something with a little burn. I want something with a little bit of consequence. So yeah, I was I was thinking about this earlier, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Which hurt more? Was it the Kentucky loss because it was a blowout, or was it the Florida loss because y'all were in that game? It's against Dan Mullen, and it was uh, the offense wasn't there for either team. Uh, which I mean, y'all were expecting to beat Kentucky. I know, I know you were worried if they would cover the spread or not, which was at ten points. So you, you pretty much thought that game was in hand. So which one hurt more, the losing to know. an up and comer think- or? Losing to Dan Mullen. I don't know. Uh, hmm. It's kind of like when you break up with a girl and you know you broke up, but, you know, Kentucky was like, it was still fresh. And there was, you know, maybe in the back of your head, you were like, you know, there's other hot girls out there that are going to like me. And, you know, maybe we'll get back together here soon. And then Florida was like, when you see that girl on a date with another guy who's clearly a better bachelor than you are, more eligible, and that's when you realize that you're really not getting back together with that person, and you're also realizing that all the other hot girls really aren't that interested in you. And, you know, it's all big part of one big painful heartache, but uh, I don't know. Probably Florida hurt worse. I I was thinking that too because, you know, you can almost forgive Kentucky because, you know, it 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 was a trap game. I mean, y'all were. um, Who did y'all play the week before Kentucky? Uh, UL Lafayette. Okay, so weren't really much into that. You were looking forward. Y'all probably had Florida circled on the calendar. Kentucky, normally a bottom dweller has suddenly developed a defense under Mark Stoop that can stop people. He's got Benny Snell, who's probably going to end up being one of the top three running backs in Kentucky history, probably the best back in the SEC this year. And he got a Juco kid that can run and throw. I mean, the kid is electric once he gets out the pocket. Um, And if y'all don't know who he is, y'all go look his name up. But he's a Juco kid, and if he – if he can develop him this year and he comes back next year, Kentucky's going to be one to look out for. But 
I feel like Kentucky was just the one. Yeah, we're still overlooking them. It's Kentucky. He's supposed to beat Kentucky. Everybody's supposed to beat Kentucky every year. But I, I think Kentucky's uh, for real. I'm a. I'm almost jumped on the Kentucky bandwagon for this year. I don't think they'll beat Georgia, but I think uh, I think they'll probably finish second in the East this year. Um, and this week, I forget who they're playing this week, but I know it's it's. I think it's is it South Carolina Texas. they're playing. No, no, it's they Texas just A&M. played That's South right. Carolina. Texas A&M. Yeah, which uh, Kentucky's actually an underdog in that game, uh, almost a, a touchdown underdog. Of course, it's in College Station, and we can get to that early uh, later. But yeah, I, I think you're probably right. The Florida loss probably hurt a little bit more, just because. And I, I watched the game, uh, and State just looked tight. The whole, the defense was there. The offense just looked tight, uh, and uh, you and I talked about it over that some text. You think it's Moorhead not having the right system, but I mean, Fitz was missing some slants where nobody was around the receiver, and I think it had more to do. The offensive line just couldn't block Florida's defensive line, and the, if they blitzed them, I mean, it was nowhere. So I mean, you can say it was Fitz, you can say it wasn't Fitz. You know, when Danny gets on, he's going to say it was Fitz, but. Him and I were talking about it as well, and, uh, you know, we agree that Fitz missed some easy passes, but at the same time, I, I don't know. I don't, do you know how many times he was sacked in that game? I, mean, I believe he, six. Yeah, and he was probably hit about six more times as well. So if you ain't got time to set your feet and throw, your offense just isn't going to be in rhythm. And then um, uh, I looked it up. Fitz had – 98 passing yards on the night, and I think y'all only had about 103 or 130. It's somewhere around there rushing yards. So uh, I, I I think the offensive line just struggled against Florida's D line in that game. What what was it like? Because uh, you know you you you're a season ticket holder to state, and uh, that was a late game kick. It was a late afternoon kickoff, five o'clock, I believe. And so y'all been tailgating all day, and they it, it must have just been so happy in that stadium before, you know, before and during the early parts of the game. Just t- take us through what it was like living it from the excitement of tailgating to the crushing defeat at the end. Okay. Uh, well, the tailgate was good. Tailgate's always pretty good. Uh, I, I'm one of those that believes the less work you have to do at a tailgate, the more enjoyable it is. Uh, not everybody we tailgate with would share that opinion. Uh, I'm all about catering, and heck, if we can get somebody to set up our tents, that's great. It's a lot of work. But anyway, tailgate was good, man. We had a nacho bar. Uh, the ladies made some margaritas. Uh, you know, I already told you I stuck to I stuck to me and the stiff stuff. Uh, the game, the atmosphere was incredible. It was it was a loud game, rowdy crowd. Uh, and, you know, the whole time I'm sitting there thinking everything here was built. And, look, I'm about to say some things that aren't popular because I've listened to three different podcasts between yesterday and today, and everybody is scared to say what the reality is right now. So I'm going to say I don't know what to call this. I don't know if I want to call this the Southern Lodge reality check, where I'm going to just say I've got three things Trademark. that I think are Three things that I think are reality checks. And yes, they're my perception, Michael, but perception is reality. So, 
the environment was there, okay? This is an environment that did not exist before Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen came in. I don't know what we were paying him to start at. It wasn't much. It might have been sub $2 million on his Probably. first contract. And he came in. He met with he met with people in the fraternity houses, sorority houses, the union. He gave speeches. Uh, we we did things we had never done before. Like we played in a different uniform. Uh, that was the first year I think we had the big jumbotron. Uh, just like things were happening around him. Uh, what did he, he came out before football games and would like pep talk the crowd? Like before he came, it was really just cowbells. To be honest with you, but now we have things like the pregame show where they do uh, the skit, the Saturday Night Live skit, where they do uh, "I gotta have more cowbell, baby. I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell." That came to fruition under him. The fourth quarter tradition where we sing "Don't Stop Believing." That was only like two years ago, but that came under him. Uh, packing out the stands, being rowdy, yelling. I mean, a lot of that peaked under him and uh you know this this the new development in the stadium just everything uh hail state became a uh something that we, we didn't say hail state before dan so dan is our dan created our identity you know he built us up and he had to come in and face that from the other side so that was just an interesting dynamic watching that unfold me knowing i became a fan under sylvester croom so i saw how bland mississippi state could be and seeing dan come in i got to see that change in culture the higher expectations talking about things like we're going to win championships and this is how we're going to do it and then seeing him back it up on the field man just seeing like our players come out with a chip on their shoulder and popping people in the mouth. And heck, we still lost games. This first year we went five and seven, but the key to it was we were in every game we played. We fought in every freaking game. And then at the end of the season, uh, we we capped it off with a beautiful Egg Bowl victory where uh, Chris Relf had a uh, coming out party, you know. And I'm not saying all this to praise Dan Mullen. I'm saying all this to say those are the things that happen when you get a good coach. Dan was a good coach. That's a fact. Moorhead has brought nothing to this program so far. He's bland, dude. He is so laid back. Not one thing in the culture has changed, good or bad. That, or, or I, Let me say this. Not one thing in the culture has changed so drastically that you've seen pushback from anybody. So that tells you when things look that good, something ain't right. Dan was pissing people off because he was changing things. He was raising expectations. When you raise expectations and you ask people to do things they've never done before, they freak out. And those things aren't happening around Moorhead. Everybody just loves him. They're so happy he's there. That's not a good sign. And so the first thing in my reality check is that everything in this game, everything in Mississippi State's issues right now is Moorhead's fault. He is the leader of the program. He makes $3 million plus dollars a year. It's his fault, 100%. And he's, I feel like he's wearing it. I feel like he comes out in his press conferences and owns that. 
but he's not backing it up on the field. After Kentucky, he told us he was going to fix the offensive problems. What did he do? He came out against Florida and did the same damn thing. He ran the same plays. He made the same mistakes. He limited our running back production. He limited Nick Fitzgerald's running production. He did all the same things that lost him Kentucky. He's saying what he needs to say to make people happy, but he's not backing it up with his actions. Moorhead is the problem right now, and I'm not positive he's going to fix it. Most people are too stubborn to change their ways, especially in leadership positions. And, you know, at the level he's at, our defense is definitely not the problem. Florida, 13 points, that's a winning. That's a that, In the SEC, you hold your opponent to 13 points, that's a win. I, I don't know what the stats are, but that's got to be like 90% of the time that's the losing team's score. Uh, so reality check number one is everything that is wrong with the offense right now and Mississippi State football, ev- capital E-V-E-R-Y-T-H-I-N-G, everything is Moorhead's fault. And he has to fix it. He has to. I think, I think his stubbornness to this run-pass option is going to lose us the season and potentially his job if he only pulls out a four-win season. I don't see them bringing him back. And it'd be different if we're like, nobody had high expectations this season. There's not a whole lot of talent on this team. But, Mike, this is a team that's going to produce at least five NFL players. And and if he can't produce an eight-win season with that much talent, that's not good coaching, period. Brand new first-year coach, whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh Jimbo Fisher at Texas a and is about to produce an eight-win season. And I would say that most people would have said Mississippi State had more talent than Texas A&M going into this season. Not, not potential talent, but on-the-field uh, productive athletes. They would have said this year Mississippi State has more talent. Well, and I, Jimbo Fisher is about to go eight and four. Well, I think you're probably right about that. But I also think, too, um, not saying you're wrong – but just thrown out there that uh, Kevin Sumlin had been there, and I think the players had given up on him because uh, they knew, you know, they weren't going to achieve with him. I, I really think the kids in that program, uh, because uh, I've, I listened to some interviews that those kids did, and um, some of the uh, star players that are showing out right now, they were like, Coach, uh, Coach Jimbo, Coach Fisher doesn't let us get away with things. He holds us accountable. So I really think, I really think Kevin Sumlin let that program go um, a lot more than people than it was shown to the public or whatnot. But um, yeah, I mean, even with that though, Texas A&M was still recruiting at a higher level than Mississippi State. Um, I may pull up the stats here to see if that's accurate or not, but I feel like that's the truth. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think people thought State was going to have a better year because of what they did last year and with Moorhead coming from Penn State, who's perennially been a top-10 school with um, uh, Franklin there and then him as OC the last couple of years. So I I would agree with that statement. But at the uh, the same time, like I said, what I saw in that game – I didn't really get to watch the uh, Kentucky game as much um, because the Tennessee game, it was a crazy weekend at the beach house vacation. We'll talk about that more later. But uh, in the house, we had four games going on at one time. We had Mississippi State, Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida. We had Auburn, um, 
uh, I forget who Auburn was playing, uh, Arkansas. And then you had the LSU La Tech game. So there was a lot of different TV watching. I couldn't really focus on all the games. Uh, we had it. We had the Kentucky Mississippi State game on an iPhone upstairs, so you can't really watch too much on a seven-inch screen. Um, but the Florida game, I just, uh, uh, yeah, you can say it's. I mean, it is all his fault. He's the head coach, and. Uh, Tennessee's kind of dealing with the same thing, and uh, I listen to or I read a lot of the Twitter and uh, articles they post on that. And the the difference between what you're saying and what their guys are saying is, um, you know, Tennessee's Tennessee Jeremy Pruitt and the coaching staff can coach them up so much and show them what to do, tell them what to do. But it's got to be the players that go out there and execute. And uh, the first couple of losses for Tennessee, it's you know they you know J- Jeremy Pruitt doesn't say it, but the writers. And the people around the program are there every day. They say, you know, the players got to execute. They're just not executing right now. It's probably a little bit of both with Mississippi State. Uh, Moorhead needs to call a better game plan. But at the same time, if you're not blocking who you're supposed to block, if you're not making the right reads in the passing game, it just creates a perfect storm. And I think that's what happened against Florida. Players weren't making the plays. He probably wasn't making some adjustments he should have, or if he did, they just may not have been executed. So um, I think I don't think he'll get fired this year unless there's unless he loses every game from here on out and gets destroyed in the Egg Bowl, maybe. But I think I think he'll last at least through the year, like I said, unless it's just a train wreck. Well, and and look, and, and I'm. If we had different players, different expectations, I wouldn't say that. But this this is a team that was primed to go 9-10 wins. Primed. Had all the pieces in place. Fitz, regardless of how he really finishes this year, is going to be one of the top. He, he's actually number two in the SEC for the most prolific rushing quarterbacks, total yards, right behind Tim Tebow. And I think he's got like 100 yards to, to tie that record. Uh, he's going to do it, even if he has a crappy season from here on out. So you, you've got that on your team. You've got two running backs that if you give them the ball, if you give Kylan Hill the ball 20 times in a game, he's going to bust a few. Aris Williams, if you give him the ball 12 times, he's going to consistently get you four to five yards. You're going to get 60, 70 yards just out of him as a, as a backup. We don't. We have a team that's built to run the ball, <clears throat> and I get that Moorhead's system is not a run-heavy system, but screw that crap. This is this year. These are the players you have. You're not trying to bend your system. You're not trying to bend them to fit your system. You need to bend your system to fit them. You need to play to their strengths, the strengths on this team. Everybody, Mike, it's tough. It's tough to watch a football game when 65,000 fans in the stands know what we need to be doing, but the one man on the field who has all of the control over it refuses to. That's frustrating. And and then to find out, you know, or to, to think about, he's making $3 million to continue doing this crap. How in the world does he not see that the pass run-pass option is not working right now with the players he has? And look, I know it's not all Xbox NCAA football 2013, Mike. I get that. It's not just shotgun formation, trips left, deep post. Okay, it's not that. 
But what it is is you've got an offensive line coach. There is somebody calling a, a play, and then the offensive line coach is calling adjustments, and the running back coach is signaling and what to do. I, I get that. Somewhere in there, there's an easy way to say, you know what? We're going to make sure Kylan Hill gets his carries. We're going to make sure Aris William gets his carries. We're going to make sure Nick Fitzgerald runs the ball a few times here. And we are not going to pass the ball more than 15 times. And that's that's our best chance to win the football game. Right. Somewhere in there, there's the ability to do that. Okay. I didn't get to, I haven't got to my other reality checks yet. Yeah, so more. just to go back to what we were talking about, you know, talking about A&M, or the perception of Mississippi State having more wins than A&M, um, I'm just going back. This is off SB Nation. Um, the average, the last five-year average – uh, class rankings for Mississippi State is 27. The last five-year average for A&M is uh, 10. If you take the two-year average, it's 14 for A&M and 26 for Mississippi State. So uh, A&M, uh, like, like I was saying, they probably just needed a jolt from a different head coach to get the potential out of the kids that they had been signing. So um, I agree with you. I agree with you. The recruiting is better, and and that's. I, I think I think the point I'm trying to make is that a a really good coach would realize there's this year goals and then there's five year goals, and this year goals is to use the players I have to their strengths and maybe throw in a little bit of my system as we go through this. But ultimately, you're trying to win the most games, right? I mean, that's your that's your job every year is win the most games. You don't have the recruits to fit the Moorhead system. Why not say this year' goals is let's play to our players on our current roster strength. Next year, we can blend a little bit more in because Keaton Thompson will have a whole year of practice under his belt in that system. And then three years from now, Five years from now, you've got full implementation of that system. That's great. That'd be fine. Totally fine. Moorhead is about to stubborn his way to a five-win season. And, and, and that's honestly, that's being optimistic that we're going to beat Arkansas and La Tech, which I'm not positive about Arkansas now. No, you, I'm not yeah. positive about La Tech. Yeah, you should be. Um, All right, so reality check number, number two. Number two. And I only have – I only have three, so I'll, I'll be quick with these next two. <laughs> My, I mean, but that's a big point. It all goes back to Moorhead. I, it's, I, it's I guess team. the honeymoon is over after that blowout of Northwestern. Uh, well, Stephen F. Austin, Kansas State, and Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah. Right. Which, I mean, I don't uh, – the second reality check is that I don't I don't need Danny to tell me that Fitz can't throw the ball. Like and I don't have I ever said that Fitz can throw the ball well. My argument is that Fitz's strengths are that he's a it is that he is a running quarterback and he produces offense when you let him play to his strengths. He read option running though one way or the other it's running. Read option is his strength. Give him the ball, let him decide whether to hand it off or to run it himself, and then every now and then throw on some play-action passes. He can do that. He can do that well. And he's only going to complete 55 to 60% of his passes, but he's going to put 400 yards offense up on the board for our team. Fitz is not the problem in this system. 
The problem is we're asking an O-line that was built to run the ball to pass block, and they're falling apart, and Fitz is getting sacked like six times against Florida. We're asking Fitz to pass the ball 30 times in a game, knowing that even at his best, he's about 60% proficient. And lately, been a, I think he's averaging 53 55% proficiency right now. That's I mean, knowing that, why would you put the ball in the air 30 times? It's just ludicrous. It's not Fitz's fault. Now, I will say that we're going to get to a point, like it or not, and a lot of these podcasts I've been listening to, oh, you're an idiot if you think Keaton Thompson's going to come in and he's going to change the offense. Look, sometimes teams do that, and they sneak an extra win or two out of the schedule because they get a new guy back there. There's a new energy. And, and yeah, he may not be the better quarterback per se, but – Keaton Thompson right now is averaging, I think, two and a half, maybe three yards more per completion than what Fitz is. So if what we're trying to do is pass the ball down the field 15-plus yards, Keaton Thompson's got better stats in that category. So maybe he needs to be the one who's trying to complete these passes. That Fitz is sailing a few, but he's also hitting some guys in the hands, and they're not helping him out. I get that. I'm not suggesting switch quarterbacks, though. I think I think Fitz is the right guy. We just got to play to his strengths. Reality check number three. Uh, SEC officials are driving me nuts, <laughs> and I—they're not the reason we're losing the game. They're not, but they are a contributing factor to us running out of gas early in the game. They took the crowd out of this game in the first quarter. Like we still got loud later on, I guess, but like we. On defense, we came up with a sack. Uh, we sacked F- Felipe Franks, and the stadium went nuts. And then on the ensuing possession, and I hope I got my chain of events here correct. On the ensuing possession, crap, who got the ball first? Ah, we we Florida won the toss, deferred to the second half. We got the ball first, so I do have the events wrong here. First possession of the game. Third down completion, it was like, I don't know, a 10-yard pass that was completed, a crossing route. Everything in live action looked beautiful. Like, he gets tackled to the ground, rolls over, and the ball comes out. And it's like, well, the ball, the, the ground must have caused the fumble or he was down, no big deal. We line up to run another play, and then they go to review the play. On TV, I'm sure you saw whatever they saw. But on the Jumbotron, we didn't see crap. There was nothing there that dictated or even insinuated that they should have done a review. It looked like he caught the ball, cradled it in his arm, took two steps, and then got tackled. Yeah. And I, I didn't see anything. And, and in live action, there was nothing there that should have justified a review. And they review that play. They find something wrong with it. They said that he never actually got possession of the football uh and they overturned the call late in the late in the fourth quarter mississippi state needs a stop florida goes for it on fourth down in live action and i mean i'm sitting uh, where we sit in the upper deck i mean we were like perfectly on that line that florida was the the, the first down marker that florida was trying to cross and they did a wildcat formation, took the snap. It looks like he gets hit about a yard in the backfield, and he falls forward close to the first down marker. Yeah. They give him the first down. They don't review it at all. 
how in the hell do those two plays not have different outcomes? How in the hell, early in the first quarter, where a completed pass is virtually inconsequential to the rest of the game, do they decide to slow the game down and review that? Where late in the fourth quarter, when it's still a one-score game, how in the hell do they decide not to review that play for a first down when it's definitely consequential to the result of the game? Mm -hmm. SEC officials suck right now. And I'm not sure what the justification is right there. Terrible and so frustrating watching the game. Even if I wasn't a fan of either team, I'd still be like, why in the hell did you review a play in the first quarter, but you won't review this one where it's like a matter of inches and, and we should be at least just take the time and look at it. It's This is going to dictate who wins this game, that one play. Anyway, that's my three reality checks. Perception is reality, Mike, and that's my perception. I gotcha. And um, I was doing a little number crunching um, while you were going on. Um, reality check number two. Am I still correct? We didn't hit number three, did we? No, no, that was oh. number two was Fitz. Okay. Fitz is not the problem. Uh, and and Fitz, Danny, if you're listening, he will, will be. be at some point. Fitz is not a good passing quarterback, okay? He's still a good quarterback. He's not a good passing quarterback, but he's still a good quarterback. He's a option-style running quarterback who passes a little bit. And then number three was SE, mm. SEC officiating. Okay. Sucked. Okay, well, just uh, just to give you a little couple numbers on Fitz that I just calculated real quick because uh, a couple podcasts ago I gave you a, a comparison between um, Jarrett Stenham and Nick Fitzgerald when we were having that little discussion. And um, what you just said in um, reality check number one, uh, Fitz throwing the ball way more than he did last year. Would it surprise you to know that um, last year Fitz threw the ball 25 times a game and completed 14 of them? And through four games this year, he's attempting 26 and a half, so we can call that 27 and completing 13. So are, are you, you're not counting the first game where he didn't play, right? Oh, no, you're, you're right. My bad. I was doing all that by four. See, that's why I got you on check, Aaron. Let me just redo some math real quick. You can bit you, know, you can complain about something else. Let me let me redo some math because those numbers will get uh, different. Okay, so uh, do, do, do. yeah, I'm gonna guess he's I'm gonna guess he's at thirty to thirty two attempts average per game. Okay, so and and our I, I was trying to pull up the stats for uh, Aris Williams and Kylan Hill because in the second half against Florida. Okay. I think they combined for eight carries, which is stupid. That's that's the strength. The, the success we saw in the first half Wait. was all due to running the ball. How many games has State played? Uh, we just finished week five. And okay, yeah, Fitz my numbers were right four then. Of them. My numbers were right. I did that by four games. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, it was 25 to 26 and a half, say 27, and then 14 to 13, so... Man, you made me doubt myself. I was right. So 27, completing 13, compared to last year, 25, completing 14. And did he – okay. And uh, his completion yeah. percentage right now is at 49.1. Uh, 
Last year it was a season total of 55.6. So he's down about five points right now. But he's he's within, you know, one to two passes of each other, his attempts and completions. So um, that's what I was trying to figure out. And you know, I don't. I don't even know how to pull this stat, but now our where offense isn't staying. Now where he's going actually, down at is um, last year. Oh, that's wrong again. I've got to learn to do math again. Seventy-two divided by uh, two eighty-six, and his yards per uh, attempt are only down by two tenths of a yard. It's he's he's at six point. 04 right now and last year was at 6.23 so um his average yards per attempt are the same and his other numbers are comparable i just it's it's i i don't know if this is people can judge this you can judge this danny can judge this i don't know if these numbers are making a case for fits or if they're making a case for moorhead because uh, his numbers are basically identical on to the average he set last year and i was not saying against you know law tech or Somebody else, he won't throw up a monster game. But um, his passing numbers right now are comparable to his season averages, his game season averages from last year. So I'm about to have another valuable stat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I already know what it's going to be. Yeah. All right, so here here's the big difference, and this is what's being noticed. And his uh, his yards per attempt rushing are down by a one point three yards. He's at he at last year so, he averaged five point eight five yards a carry. Right now he's averaging four point five. Okay. Do you last to, year, do you want me to figure out how many times he carried the ball a game last year? Uh, I mean we we can, but here's what here's the big difference I'm trying to push to you. We last year. Attempted 353 passes. We attempted 634 rushes. Now, that's as a team. That's quarterbacks combined and running backs combined. And quarterbacks running. So, last year, 36% of our plays were pass plays. Right. 36%. This year, so far... And this is without Fitz even playing one of those games. This is just combining everybody. Mm-hmm. We've had 143, 143 pass attempts and 183 rush rushing attempts. attempts. Yeah, we are we are at 45 percent pass plays right now, and that is with nine percent. And that's with Fitz running the ball uh, three three. He's averaging right now 3.5 more carries than he did last year. So he's throwing the ball less and running more this year so far if the averages hold. It's hard to believe he already has 70 carries on the year. In four games? I know. That means he's he's averaging 17.5 carries per game. Right. That can't be right. Well. Now, uh, you may have to look at this. Sacks may count on this as well, which they probably do. So, uh, you may have to subtract out um, the sacks. But then they also take the yardage away with that too. So, um, 
that is his yardage mm. if uh, they subtract the sack yardage. So, and once again, I don't know. Uh, I'll let y'all, you and Danny, debate this next time we get on, or when I talk to him. This, uh, it does do the averages hold that this is a Fitz problem, or is it a Moorhead problem, um, or is it? a third-party factor, and is the O-line just not living up to what they did last year? Because um, Aaron's kind of shown that they, they're they throwing the ball a little bit more, but um, that average could get up there um, later in the season with the uh, percentages he uh, provided earlier, but that you provided earlier. But, uh, I mean, right now nothing is changing for uh, Fitz is pretty much staying on his average of last year, so – and I, I'm struggling to find the the actual game stats right now. Uh, I'm sure if I had more. T- oh, never mind. Here we go. Here we go. Why doesn't Nick Fitzgerald have a receiving stat yet? Shouldn't he? Uh, shouldn't there be some kind of halfback pass to Nick Fitzgerald somewhere in the game plan? I, you know, we saw kind of an interesting formation in this game where Keaton Thompson was the quarterback. And Fitzgerald was the running back. And, uh, you know, they did a little flip out to Fitzgerald. And he looked down the field, but uh, the receiver wasn't open, so he took off and ran. So it was, uh, it was a, that was a refreshing thing to see. That was kind of Mullen-esque. Uh, you know, actually more creative than Mullen. I don't think Mullen ever did a two-quarterback uh, backfield. Right. But it's interesting to do that. I mean, I, I don't see why we don't do that a little bit more often. Okay, he passed the ball 26 times against Florida. Uh, I wish I could easily get to the, the Kentucky game because I'm, I'm positive he went over 30 pass attempts in that game. Wow. And I used to say, like, why is that so crazy? But the pass attempts take away from your rush attempts. And when your strength is your running game, you can't give up a pass play where, especially an incompletion, it's a wasted down just about. A completed pass sets up other plays. You know, or produces okay, Nick Fitzgerald threw the ball the 32 field. times against Kentucky. He uh, he completed mm-hmm. 16 for no touchdowns and one interception. Um, he also ran the ball 16 times that game. Um, was uh, was Hill hurt that game? Because he only had four carries. Hill was not hurt that game. That was just uh, crappy coaching. Uh, bad schemes. Y'all had 56 yards rushing, and if just not watching that game and watching watching and not analyzing too thoroughly, I think y'all got an offensive line problem. And I should know about this because Tennessee's offensive line has been god-awful this year. Um, I know some things about some terrible line play, and Tennessee's got probably one of the top ten offensive linemen in the country playing for them in Trey Smith. So... Mm. Yeah, these stats, the rushing really uh, makes it look like the O-line just wasn't opening holes against Kentucky's defense. Now, I know y'all got down. uh, Well, let's look at the game cast real quick. Um, Well, y'all scored first. And really, it wasn't – they scored in the third. It was 14-7 to going into the fourth quarter. So there really shouldn't have been a reason for y'all to give up the run unless y'all just couldn't run the ball. So, 
Yeah, um, if if you were watching, I think if you'd have watched the whole thing, I'm sure you'd be just as frustrated as everybody else about the the run and the ball. Oh, I, I was. I mean, I know what you're go- coming from because um, I text Danny at one point during the Tennessee Georgia game saying that Jeremy Pruitt was in over his head and he was a bad hire. And uh, I realized, I mean, that's in the spur of the moment. Tennessee's losing and looks like I, I haven't agreed with our play calling. Um, because Tennessee's been very vanilla on the play call. A lot of runs on first and second down with some throws. I think uh, Tennessee needs to get a little more creative with their play calling. But also at the same time, we haven't had the O-line that consistently open holes in the running game and things of that such. But uh, I took a step back after Tennessee because – I, I listened to what some of the Tennessee beat writers and columnists said. And uh, if you didn't look at it from a win-loss perspective and you just looked at it how the players performed, how they reacted, that they played tough throughout the whole game, there were some positives uh, to take out of that. And at some point, Tennessee, the bad luck cloud is going to leave Tennessee because the first half against Florida was – the worst luck, I don't know if you saw any stats on it or saw anything. Uh, no, but, I haven't. But it was basically, uh, we stopped Florida, got a punt. They pinned us in at like the 10-yard line. or cl- that We were inside the red zone of Florida. We were in, So we, were, we had like 80 yards, 85 yards, something like that to go. Quarterback gets hit, strip sack, fumble. Florida picks it up. They got 15 yards to go for a touchdown. Okay. Basically, the same thing happens again. We stop Florida. Kid throws an interception inside the red zone. Their red zone. They score real quick again. We fumble again. I think we punted. We go for it on fourth and four. Convert. Tight ends running down the field. This is all in the first half now. We haven't even reached the second half. Um, Tight end gets hit. He goes to shift the ball in his hands. He fumbles out the back of the end zone. What would have been us down at the three-yard line ends up being Florida's ball at the 20. Um, And there was probably another fumble or interception. And, oh, we had a safety. There was a safety against us as well. Um, So I saw how good. Florida's got a D-line. They pushed us around. Uh, And Georgia, uh, if you've ever seen a strip sack fumble picked up by the offense and run for 30 yards, you you have seen that if you go back and look at the Georgia-Tennessee game because – we sacked the quarterback, stripped the ball, and Georgia's tight end, Nada, picked it up and ran 30 yards for a touchdown. That's how Georgia scored the first touchdown. Uh, so, yeah. we're if there wasn't for bad luck, Tennessee wouldn't have any luck right now. But uh, I know Tennessee and State had a little bit different um, uh, expectations going into this year. And uh, I'm j- uh, just trying to put out there that if the O-line – uh, doesn't perform up to where it should be. It can it causes havoc throughout the entire offense. But I agree with you. The Kentucky game, uh, without going to watch it, Fitzgerald's attempts are high, but at the same time, the rushing attempts are very low. And I don't know if that's just because Moorhead abandoned it or y'all just couldn't run against Kentucky. I'm not sure. So, so. That is us all caught up on Mississippi State. Aaron's got his time to vent. Uh, in the next couple of days, Danny and I will be doing a podcast because he's unavailable tonight. And I'm sure 
we'll discuss everything that uh, we had to say about Mississippi State and Tennessee, and then Daniel tell us how uh, he feels about Auburn. He's not happy with Auburn right now, even though they're only got one loss. So, um, you want to go ahead and pick some games for this week? Yeah, man, let's do it. Um, you wouldn't happen to have the totals from the other weeks, would you? Or are you behind? I don't have Never that. go back and total up week. I can. Mm-hmm. I don't have it totaled right now, though. Yeah. Well, and then you have week three picks, right? Yeah, I've got them written down. I thought I had that notepad with me, but it must be somewhere else. So uh, I'll find it for Danny's podcast, and I'll give a little recap. But um, let's let's go ahead and go through the week six schedule. Um. I'll pick first, and uh, I well, I'll go off my schedule. I don't know what you're looking at. It could be a different lineup than mine, um, but I've got Alabama, Arkansas first up on the list, and the only question is by how much is Alabama going to win? Because Alabama is definitely going to win that game. Are you writing these down? Yeah. I'm okay. Ready. All right. Um, to uh. The only way Tua doesn't win the Heisman is because he never plays in the second half of games, and which is be- Tua. I saw something today on ESPN. Tua is still their Heisman front runner, but the quarterback for Oklahoma is chasing him down, and that's because last week uh, Murray Murrah, Kyler Murray Murrah from Oklahoma, had seven touchdowns last week, and he's putting up some numbers. And Tua is just. Two is probably more worried about a national championship than a Heisman this year, but I have a feeling next year when Hertz leaves, it's going to be Alabama's going to put up even more numbers. So um, Alabama right now is averaging like 55 points a game. I don't see that number uh, changing this week against Arkansas. Arkansas showed some life against A&M, but as the previous weeks have shown, uh, Alabama is a cut above the rest. Mm-hmm. Who you got up next? Are you taking Alabama? Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say Danny does too. <laughs> Alabama, Arkansas. That is that's kind of a waste of time to even talk about. Uh next you got up Missouri at South Carolina. Hmm. Before the season, I said South Carolina was not going to be good, and it's all because of Will Muschamp. I don't see those same qualities I talked about earlier that are making Moorhead not very appealing. Uh, just that lack of interest, and he's, he's just not aggressive enough. He's not like vocal enough. He's not opinionated enough. Uh, he's not shaking things up and making people uncomfortable. I don't think Will Muschamp's doing all those things either. So I'm, I'm going Missouri here. I agree with you. I, I liked Missouri. I think I picked uh, South Carolina to finish ahead of Missouri at the beginning of the season. But uh, I, I like uh, – Drew Locke's been consistent this year. I mean, last week they ran into the buzzsaw that is Georgia – or two weeks ago they ran into Georgia. Uh, so you can't really fault them. They they did put up some numbers, but a couple of turnovers and uh, uh, a couple of misplays kept that from being a little closer than what it was. Missouri tried to make a little comeback, but – um, it's in South Carolina. Uh, let's see here. 
Nope, that's week six. Nope, we are in week six. That's right. Um, this game is uh, South Carolina by two, so even the betters um, aren't even given South Carolina. Normally, home field advantage is anywhere from standard is three to seven points. South Carolina is not even getting that right now, so uh, I, I, too, will go Missouri. Uh, next on that schedule is... Uh, LSU versus Florida. LSU at Florida. Um, I don't like Joe Burrow, but against Ole Miss, of course, it was Ole Miss's defense, and Ole Miss's defense sucks, but he did throw better passes, I thought, against Ole Miss than he had before. Um, I think LSU... It's proven me wrong. I thought Coach O was losing the team, and he hired the tight end coach to be – he fired a guy who was paying a million dollars a year to bring in the tight ends coach that he passed over the year before. Um, I don't know if it's just because LSU's got the athletes to do this or if it really is some coaching magic or what, but LSU's defense is tougher than anything Florida's played this year. That includes Kentucky. Um LSU's probably got a better offensive line than anything they played this year. I won't say they've got the best running back because, I think, like I said, I think Benny Snell, pound for pound, is probably a top two or three running back in the SEC. LSU's doing it more by committee this year. Uh, I'm going with LSU. Um, and I was really surprised when I was looking at this. It's LSU favored by two. I think that's wrong because I think so, I thought earlier it said Florida. I may have saw LSU at three, but LSU's favored by two on the road. I think they easily cover that. Um, Florida's going to be hyped. Of course, it could be a let up because I know Florida's players wanted to get that win last week in Starkville, so could be a little letdown for them. They could come out and play with being ranked again. I don't know, but I, I think LSU's probably just too talented. I think LSU's defense is going to be too much for Felipe Franks, just like Kentucky's defense was. So I got the Bayou Bengals. You know, this with the line being that close, and here's the thing, this might have been the game where Mullen wins those players. I think he's been uh, he's been waiting on that. Like, I don't know if you saw the, the clip of him um, – early in the season like he started doing this goofy dance in front of felipe franks and he like he like punches him on the chest and tries to get felipe franks to dance too and and franks just kind of ignores him and that that's indicative of his players not buying into him you know he's trying to buy into them and they're not buying back uh this win at mississippi state last weekend might have done that for him that, that might have showed that he could take them into adversity and, and win. And this could be the weekend that that pays off. Uh, they're only 4-1. and one. Their loss being to a really good Kentucky team. Whew, I think I've got the cushion to take this gamble. I'm going to take Florida here. Mm, brave choice you do because uh, um, uh, through week three – uh, you were, I think, two up on me and one up on Danny. And then week three, I'm pretty sure you and Danny picked every game the same. And 
Uh, I picked every game the same as y'all except for Vanderbilt, uh, Notre Dame, which uh, almost uh, which almost was good for me. So I think uh, I think you've got a game on Danny right now and three. I think he's got two. You've got three on me and he's got two on me. So you've got you've got a cushion of a little bit. Just depends what Danny picks. Um, so. You know, I wouldn't – LSU and Florida play each other tough. It's in Florida. This is one of those hurricane games where uh, LSU had to give up games to Florida at home. So, uh, it, I mean, it could be – I just uh, I just can't downplay LSU anymore. I, I've been picking against them all – well, not picking against them, but I've, been, I have a, I've had doubts on them all season. And, um, once again, LSU's defense is still still one of the best in the country. So, um, so next up is Ole Miss is uh, UL Monroe at Ole Miss. It could be a shootout, but Ole Miss should handle it. Yep, I'm gonna follow your pick on that one. What do you think of? Uh, well, I, I'll discuss that later because that's part of something else I want to talk about. Um, all right, so here we go. Uh, this is your pick first. It is Kentucky at Texas A&M. I'm okay. So if what you say is true that a home field advantage gives you three to four points, Texas A&M on a neutral site would be a two-point favorite in this game because it's uh, right now it's currently six points Texas A&M's way. I'm not sure what the the hmm. I'm not sure what they see there unless they just think, man, eventually Kentucky's going to lay an egg. But the way Kentucky's been playing, man, they're just they're so stout. They're just a physical team. Uh, I do see this one. This one's either going to be close or it's going to be close into the fourth quarter, and Kentucky's going <coughs> to – excuse me. Kentucky's going to wear them down and do what they did to us where they get a couple garbage time touchdowns. I'm going Kentucky, man. I, I, think, I think Kentucky can do this, and, and – if they don't, that's fine. But I, I, I think this might be their year. Okay. Um, just got picks sent in uh, by Danny, so we can go ahead and write these down. Um, Danny's got Alabama, Missouri, LSU, Ole Piss, his word, not mine. And he's taking Kentucky against A&M. And uh, I, I'm sorry, I was reading his text. Did uh, did you pick that game or not? Which one, Kentucky? I, yeah. I pick Kentucky. Okay, uh, I think it's going to be a sweep because I I think Kentucky's magic's going to continue. Actually, hold up, that's why I was looking something up until Danny texts me. Let's see. Hmm. Wow, I thought he had better passing stats than that. Kentucky's quarterback has two touchdowns compared to five interceptions. He must run the ball a lot. Or he must run more touchdowns than he does. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. There's the defense. Okay, totally yards is there. Yeah, I'm still going to go with Kentucky. 
I just think he's got them kids believing. Next up is Vanderbilt at Georgia. I'm going to go with Georgia. Danny's also going with Georgia. Um, Maybe I could have maybe thought about this, but I think the Notre Dame game kind of took it out of Vanderbilt. They weren't even close against um, South Carolina. I mean, they were close going into half, and then South Carolina just blew them open. So I think Vandy's probably still reeling a little bit from that last-second loss to Vanderbilt that they suffered. So I got Georgia. I got Georgia as well. Uh, so, last game on here that I see is Auburn State. It is. Right? I can't believe the line is only three and a half points. Auburn. Uh, the, the way we – yeah, Auburn's way. The way we've been playing, Auburn is going to beat us by three touchdowns. I, I don't see three and a half points. I mean, it, there's just no indication that we're going to make any kind of changes. Uh, Auburn is going to come out there and manhandle us uh, on defense. Our offense is going to produce optimistically 10 points. Uh, and, and there's – I mean, we, we'll hold Auburn to about 21. <laughs> but I'm not confident we'll get the 10 points. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I hear what you're I, I don't saying. Know. I, could, I could see this being like a 24 to 6, 24 to 3 – the way we've been playing. So I, I'm definitely picking Auburn in this game uh, until I see some, a different product take the field. We're still going. I'll be there in person. I'll be drinking my uh, Jim Beam that I got left over from last weekend. <laughs> I'll be just – and, I, and I'll, be, I'll be ringing my cowbell, man, but it's – Auburn's going to win this one pending some kind of drastic change. Okay, so Danny has picked Auburn. In parentheses, they probably will lose – so, neither one of y'all strong on Auburn. Um, I'm taking Auburn as well. Uh, I just think you have to um, at this point. Uh, no offense to the state fans. Uh, Danny doesn't like Auburn's O-line. I'm sure we'll discuss that later on on the next pod. But um, he's also not a fan of Gus not calling the plays right now. So, um all right um i think that's our picks we're probably i mean we'll probably do pretty good only one that we're not picking the same and that's lsu florida me and danny got a chance to get one up on you um it's a late kickoff for auburn mississippi state you're gonna be a late night there Seven thirty yeah, kickoff wait, uh uh 6 30 central oh is it okay I tell you, that was rough for uh, LSU last week, that 8 o'clock kickoff. Okay, so there's a few things I want to touch on. And uh, one of these, I told you, I I may have, may have, may have placed a few wagers. Maybe, just, just tell me, you ain't got to tell me, you know, I'm not going to, just tell me what you think of these. All right. Alabama. All right. Okay. Alabama versus Arkansas. I took Alabama, giving up thirty-four and a half points. Got to go. I got to pick the spread here, so there's going to be some numbers involved in this. Um, Alabama right now is averaging fifty-five points a game. Uh, Arkansas, Arkansas scored fourteen on Alabama. Uh, UL Lafayette scored fourteen on Alabama. So Alabama, I think, was like a forty-two point favorite against UL Lafayette. So if the scores are the same. 
Tennessee or Alabama covers that. What do you, what do you think? I'm I'm not sure I understood what your bet is. Are you betting that they cover okay. the spread or that they don't cover the I'm spread? I'm betting Alabama wins by 34 and a half points. Or more? Or more. It's just got to be more than 34 and a half. So it's got to be by win by 35 points. You know, I don't know what it they could win by 70 if they wanted to. The problem is they take their foot off the the problem with betting on them anyway is they take their foot off the pedal. I mean, you look at last weekend, they were up 49 to 0. They were. At half, is that right? No, I don't know if they it was their, at the half, they, but it was close to that. They put up they 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 put their third string in and then they just get kind of conservative and I mean, you can't blame them. You're beating the tar out of somebody. It's like having mercy, so well, I'm looking know, at man. the averages. I don't know how to bet on that. Well, if they continue yeah. their av- like I said, if they continue their average of 56 points a game, giving up 10 or 14, it should be good. Um, yeah. All right. Kansas plus 29 and a half at West Virginia. So I'm betting that Kansas loses, but doesn't lose by 29 points so West Virginia would have to beat them by 30 for me to lose that one I don't know West Virginia is pretty stout that could that could happen I don't know how good Kansas is though it could I'm just I don't know if if they'll run it up that much on them that's one of the ones I'm iffy on um the next one is uh Maryland Plus seventeen at Michigan. Maryland is three and one this year. Michigan's four and zero. Oh. I'm not picking Maryland to win. I just don't think they'll lose by seventeen. Again, I don't know enough about the teams. All right, my next one is uh, BYU giving up three to Utah State uh, at home. So BYU favored by three points against Utah State. This one, okay, I know you don't know, uh, you know, you don't follow much outside the SEC. This one, uh, it threw me for a loop. Oklahoma is only giving up seven and a half to Texas. Seven and a half. That's it. I figured this would have been like a two touchdown game or something. Uh, Texas did not look very good against Kansas State last year. I know this is the Red R- Red River rivalry and all that, but Oklahoma's just looked better than Texas this year. Yeah, I agree with that. And then uh, I took LSU minus three at Florida, so the Lions probably moved a little bit. But um, so I think LSU is going to win by more than three. Um, another one I think is low is Oklahoma State only giving up ten and a half to Iowa State at home. So uh, Oklahoma State's got an offense. I took Kentucky. Yeah, I'd think. Yeah, I'd think they they'd cover that and and beat it. Yeah. Um, Ohio State minus twenty five at Indi- uh with Indiana. Indiana's at Ohio State. Unless this is one of those games that Urban just blows, there's Ohio State should cover that all day. I th- I think. Yeah. Uh, and then I took Kentucky, getting five and a half against A and M because, like you, it's either going to be close or I think Kentucky's going to win. So, if A and M wins by a field goal, I still win on that one. Um, 
I took mm. Auburn minus three and a half at state. Danny told me that one was an iffy pick. Uh, and then I took Notre Dame minus five uh, at Virginia Tech. So we'll see if Notre Dame doesn't fold. So uh, that is betting 10 to win 13,000. Hmm. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Okay, so yeah, just a, lot, a f- lot's got to go your way. Well, it's 11 games, so yeah, a lot does. Um, okay, so that was that. Uh, what do you think, because this has been all, there's been the talk on this, and I've seen it a few places. What are your thoughts on Jimbo grabbing that player's face mask and, and giving it a yank when he was uh, got into that scuffle on the field? Have you seen this? That's what that's what every college football coach should be doing. When 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 uh heck. Talking about Mississippi State, man, what I want to see Moorhead doing when a player makes a mistake, I want to see him chase them down on the sideline and grab their face mask, get in their face and yell at them. That's what I want to see. This they are the generals of our time. They they you know like back in the day Civil War generals, World War 2 generals, they were like looked at like like heroes man like greek uh what's the word for demigods you know Mm. and heck now we have college football coaches and the best of them are energetic they're aggressive that's what i want to see man that's what uh, jimbo's a good coach fisher's a good coach and that's that's the kind of stuff that separates i didn't see the video i'm i'm so i don't know if he like slings him to the ground or like I, but if he just grabs his face mask, shakes it into his face, and just shows some like toughness and energy, that's a good thing. You should probably look it up real quick because we've got time. But basically what it was, I think there was an altercation or there was some jawing going on, and Jimbo ran out there, and the guy, Jimbo was talking to him, and he was animated with him, and the guy was looking and it looked like he was still talking crap to the other team or to other people. So Jimbo just grabbed his face mask, turned it to where it was looking at him. It wasn't a jerk. He didn't jerk him to the ground. He didn't hit him. He just grabbed his face mask and, and pointed it at his face and was trying to get his point across. And the kid has said that, um, you know, that Jimbo did nothing wrong and this and that. And people have come out and said, this is barbaric. And that, would you want them to do that to your kid? And this comes back to, and you know, we're not going to get political or anything, but this is a, you can almost look at this as a left versus right um, issue. This comes to people that played football and enjoy football as compared to people that have never played, never had people they're close to play because I'm going to say it. I had a coach hit me in the head with a clipboard one time. I had a helmet on, still didn't like it, but, uh, I've had my face mask grabbed before. Uh, it's just football. Now, if he hit the kid or he grabbed the face mask and slung him to the ground, then we got a problem. But yelling in a kid's face, grabbing his face mask, and getting just getting his attention, uh, people don't realize how hyped these players get for these games. The emotions that are running for them to play these games, and sometimes you gotta you gotta show emotion and get emotional to get these kids to refocus on you. So uh, these people that are just like, if that was my kid, that coach would have had to come talk to me in the parking lot, and he wouldn't have liked what would have happened, and. These people, he should be suspended and fined. Y'all need to get over yourselves and realize this is a – see, this is what's wrong with football in America today. People that never played and the the incomplete research that is going on, there's no 
the people that say, you know, okay, the, the guys back in the day with the NFL and all that, yeah, they've got a legitimate gripe because the concussions and what they could do to their bodies was withheld from them. They didn't have the best padding. They've got a gripe. But these new guys, they're making millions of dollars. They know the risk. This is a violent game. If you don't want to play a violent game, then don't play. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit now with the NFL, with these rough-in-the-passer calls where defenders don't know how to hit a quarterback without getting a penalty. So I, th- I, think, this is, I think this is just another example of people that have played, people, and people say, well, those are just barbaric people used to barbaric times. No, they're – there are people that understand that you've got to get kids' attention. And as long as you're not physically harming him, it's all right. Like I said, he didn't hit the kid. He didn't sling him to the ground. It's all right. I watched the video. It's exactly what I imagined in my head. I mean, that's there's nothing wrong with that at all. No. That is that that is that is a ball coach being a ball coach, and part. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you got to get in their face, man. Sometimes you got to grab their face mask and say, "You son of a, you better get back on that sideline right now, or you ain't gonna play for the rest of this season." You hear me? I mean, you need to say some. He, he needs to talk a little trash to his players too. He's the boss of that team, and they need to respect him like that. And if he's like, ooh, I can't touch you, please get away, please don't make a bad decision right here, that doesn't – you're talking about grown men out there. And and men communicate physically. I mean, when when you and I see each other, we slap each other on the shoulder, we shake each other's hands, we, we grab each other's hand hard. You know, that's just – two brothers wrestle, a dad and a son wrestles. Men communicate physically. And when you're out there on the field, if he's, if he's frustrated – he needs to show it, and his his players need to respect him like that. I and and you watch he that will that will produce more positive outcomes than if he wouldn't have done that. Right, and I think this to go. I don't want to go, but to go to the political term, it's a beta male. It's a beta male's version of an alpha male's game. Any foot if you any football player. In high school, you can have some guys that just they're just out there because it's the football team and it gets you popular and you know the girls are going to like it or maybe their parents want to. But by the time you get to college, those guys are all alpha males. They're out there, especially at a D one level. They're there trying to make it to the NFL. They're there to be physical. They've got that attitude. You can't be a beta male running a team of alphas. You got to be the biggest right. alpha there is. And like I, like I was saying, if you watch the video and now that you did, you can see that the guy just wasn't paying attention to Jimbo while Jimbo was trying to tell him something or get him under control. So Jimbo just grabbed that face mask and he got control of him. He wasn't violent about it. He just jerked his head a little bit to make him look at him. Quite honestly, it's a waste of time to even talk about it, man. I mean, it's like that's, that's what we need to see in football, and that's, what, that's what's going to produce results. You're telling me Nick Saban's never grabbed one of his players' face masks? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and there, I'm and, sure and, there's a lot of stuff that goes on at practice that just ain't reported on, so. You, you're, are you thinking Bear Bryant never roughed up one of his players a little bit? I mean, he never. I'm sure he never beat anybody. Well, you're telling me he never got in their face and chewed them out? Well, if you want to learn a little something about Bear Bryant, there's a great movie called The Junction Boys 
uh, and it's based off Bear Bryant's first year at Texas A&M. And uh, it, it shows Bear Bryant learning different things. It, he basically tried to take Maryland football down to Texas A&M, and uh, he, he basically ran his boys into the ground. He gave one a heat stroke, and Bear Bryant really learned some things about it. But it's a good movie about Bear Bryant. But, yeah, back in those days, you really could hit a player and nobody would say anything. But this is not what Jimbo did. Hmm. My other my other point I want to bring up to you was, uh, and you kind of you kind of mentioned it a little bit in your Mississippi State rant or observations, but um, uh, and you were tailgating, so you probably didn't see this, but um, Clemson had a little quarterback controversy um, in the beginning of the week. You know, Clemson had been running a two quarterback system for the first four games of the season. Uh, they've got a, a full senior in Kelly Bryant. Who uh, took them to the national or to the semifinal last year? Uh, he basically won the Texas A&M game for them because the freshman played like two series, so they probably lose the Texas A&M game without him. Um, apparently, uh, Jimbo came to him at the beginning of the week and said, "We're going to go with Trevor Lawrence. He's the better quarterback. He gives us the best chance to win." And uh, Kelly Bryant said, "With these new redshirt rules, he said, all right, uh, I'm done playing.'" Uh, I'm going to transfer somewhere else, which I I agree with him. That's his option. He's got that option now. Um, a lot of people didn't agree with it. They said he was giving up on his team. Um, but Kelly Bryant was like, I've given everything for these guys. Um, I've done everything they've asked, this and that. So he was hurt, and, you know, he wants to play. So, uh, But he transferred out, and a lot of people have different opinions on that. But – um, during Clemson's game against Syracuse, Trevor Lawrence got hurt. And so basically the third-string quarterback from two weeks ago is who played the last uh, two-and-a-half quarters or two quarters of that game. Uh, Clemson ended up winning because Syracuse choked that game away. But still, uh, especially with you know Mississippi State, you've talked about they've used two quarterbacks in the same play. They had to use um, – uh, I always forget the kid's name, Keaton, in the first game. Alabama's running two quarterbacks. Um, a lot of teams are kind of using two quarterbacks right now. Not uh, Alabama's doing it because they can, not because they have to. But what are your thoughts on, do you think this kid was a sore loser and just left? or Because uh, a lot of people are looking at it now, like especially when Trevor Lawrence got hurt, that he should have stuck around because he could have helped his teammates you know, win that game and – if Trevor Lawrence is gone for a while, they really need Kelly Bryant to win a game. Uh, what are your thoughts? Hmm. I guess it depend, depends on what you think. Do, do you think you have NFL potential? Uh, otherwise, you got to realize uh, the loyalty to your team is important. I mean, it's, it, if you're not the starting quarterback, you probably don't have NFL potential. And if you don't have NFL potential, what's the point in being selfish about your playing time? I mean, you're 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 not gonna produce anything at the the next level. Just just move on. I mean, just be loyal to your team. Kind of well, kind of what uh kind of what uh Jalen Hurts is doing in Alabama. I mean, he he could be a sore loser. He could say, "Hey, I'm transferring." This is garbage. I need my playing time. And he's probably got he, – he may have some NFL potential uh, at a different position. I'm not sure if quarterback's going to be his NFL potential. 
but you know that he's being loyal to the team, which is important. Well, yeah, but I mean, uh, Kelly Bryant sat behind Deshaun Watson for two years. Um, he got his start last year. They ended up in the college football semifinal. They lose to Alabama. Um, kind of wasn't close, but uh, Alabama did win the national championship this year. Um, did more than enough, in my opinion, to keep the starting job or at least keep it to where the freshman's coming off the bench. Because, uh, like I said, I think Trevor Lawrence really played only like two or three series against A&M, and Kelly Bryant did the rest of it and guided them to that win. Um, of course, Dabo sees them every day, but um, I – it would have to me. It would have been different if this was a kid that was a, a sophomore and was losing out after not you know not paying any dues and then leaving. Whereas he was yeah. he did sit for two years behind Watson. Um, he outlasted another five star kid that transferred at the beginning of the season to win out the job last year, and this year he had another freshman come in. Um, uh, I could understand if they had lost a game or they were losing a game and he came in and uh, the freshman came in and just blew it away. But none of their games have been like that. So, um, and Dabo saying the door is open for him, but, uh, I just, uh, I don't, I don't agree with people giving him, uh, crap about leaving. And then, you know, it's not his fault that Trevor Lawrence got hurt or, or whatnot. But, uh, uh, if, and it always comes back to if a coach can leave before his time, and I think me and Danny have had our arguments on this, uh, a player should be able to. And I know Danny and I are going to discuss this because he's not happy with the new uh, red shirt rule, or as he calls it, a transfer rule, uh, because Auburn's had a, been affected by it by a couple of players. But um, uh, I just don't think this kid should be catching crap because he did he did wait his time to start and stuff, so – Um, okay. So as I mentioned, there's been a couple of weeks since we've done a podcast and, uh, last week we should have done one, but we got down, we were on vacation last week and, you know, things get loosey goosey and, um, there happened to be a boys golf trip, uh, between, uh, Danny, Aaron, myself and our friend, Justin, Aaron, um, how'd that, how'd that golf outing go? It was uh, it was a good time with the boys. Uh, terrible day for the golfing. Well, terrible for two people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I brought in a ringer. I actually didn't think Justin was going to be that good because he hasn't played in probably over a year. Uh. Yeah, it's probably been close to a year that Justin's played golf, so uh, I didn't expect him to be as good as he was, but he was. Um, we shot on a par 72 course. We shot four, four over playing best ball. Um, you kind of want to play par playing best ball, but we will take it. Aaron, how'd y'all do? We did terrible. Do you remember uh, the score? I, we shot around 90-something, didn't we? That would be a 91. 91. Which, um, y'all shot bogey ball, actually. Y'all shot 18 over. Mm. 
sure felt a lot worse than that. That's because uh, the front nine, uh, the front nine was bad for y'all. Yeah, we're plus twelve on that, uh, plus six on the back nine. So uh, I don't know if it was us speeding up or, but we played a lot quicker on the back nine, and the golf was better on the back nine. I don't know. I don't know what the reason for that was. What did uh, What did you think of that golf course? That was beautiful. Beautiful. And, you know, I, I know there were some complaints about them pushing us, but, I mean, when you play on a nice course like that, one thing they're selling to people is that they're going to keep the pace going. And, heck, we were slow, man. We really were playing slow. I felt it. And when we picked up, I think all of us played a little better, too, when we picked up our pace. Uh, it was just – I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not a golf snob. I'm terrible at golf, but I do like to play fast. And if I get behind somebody who's playing slow, I get frustrated too. Well nobody was pushing us is the moral of the story. Nobody was pushing us. Well the marshal but, said uh, there was someone pushing us, but there wasn't. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, well, I think Beautiful what hurt course, us though. Uh, it was. Uh I think what hurt us we were nobody was hitting the ball straight and People were looking for the balls, and you know my feelings on that. If you can't find your ball within 30 seconds to a minute, you just need to go ahead and drop you another one. I hate I hate looking for balls. They're not expensive enough to spend 10 minutes looking for a golf ball. Um, well, in a gentleman's game like that, we should have just said, you know, it, it, and, and we didn't know the course, but if, if we'd have known how many balls we were going to lose and how much time we were going to spend, we should have just said you drop within – 10 yards where you saw it go in the woods, you know, and, and just take a free drop. And we could have kept the pace up because I think we were trying to avoid having to take strokes. And if you're, if you're not and, – and we equally were hitting into the woods probably. I don't know. You and Justin were hitting a little straighter. Yeah, just a little bit. Oh. Your short game was awesome. Uh, it was terrible in some parts of it, but uh, I got to work on that out here at work when I'm not working. Um all right, that covers uh, pretty much everything I wanted to talk about. Is there anything you want to talk about before we get to the Southern Lodge list debate? Man, it's about dinner time for me. All the right. boss is almost home. All right, so tonight we're going to give you all our top five chips. We're going to throw these into the Southern Lodge list debate vault. Um, number five for me is pork rinds. Golden Flake pork rinds original no flavor and those are delicious they are number five for me is tostitos cantina thins uh it's a tortilla chip and uh i actually can't eat them by their by themselves but they go really good they pair very nicely with a tostitos restaurant style salsa in the purple can mm. purple jar uh, my number four is Tostitos, just original, scoops, flats, doesn't matter. I like you can eat them plain. Uh, I like to have them with a, with a sauce now. Uh, we we kind of made that dip, uh, that dip over at the beach house of uh, Ground Meat, Rotel, and Velveeta and Chili. Oh, so good. Yeah, uh, I made some of it when I got back here, actually, back to Corpus. Um, so, yeah, Tostitos with a dip. I like them plain, but with a dip's better. Number four for me, Golden Flake Sweet Heat Barbecue Potato Chips. Mm. Um, number three for me is Cheetos. Can you guess which kind? 
I don't know, man. Cheetos puffs. puffs. Yep. There we go. I'm not right. a fan of the crispy or the hot. I like my puffs. Number three, Chex Mix, and I'll take it just about any way I can get it. I like traditional and cheddar the best, but hot and spicy, jalapeno cheddar. Is that like a the, chip, I tried though? the sweet ones. Uh, there's, hey, inside of the Chex Mix bag, there are those uh, brown thingies yes but you can buy those uh you can buy those plain now or not plain but you can buy those separately now in their own bag which i think is melba great. toast is that yeah. what they're called yeah melba something toast. like that uh number two for me is funyuns uh don't care how bad they make my breath smell uh i gross. like my fun onions gross uh cheetos puffs for me Love them. Oh, my God, so good. They 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 can't make a bag big enough. You know what I mean? No. And Their it biggest just seems bag like, I can uh, eat in one setting. It just seems like you put one in, and as soon as you're done, you've already got another one up there. They just, I don't know if it's the crunch or the little, you know, biting into that puppet. It just makes you want to put another one in your mouth. That's what she said. That is what I she like said. I like to put a Cheeto... I like to put a Cheeto puff in my mouth and then put some Bark's root beer in there and just let the Bark's root beer, like, dissolve the Cheeto... It's I like, do that sometimes too, experience. but I'll I'll put it inside like my lip and let my natural saliva do that. That's what she said. Is that really a, that's what she said? I, I think so. Yeah. Letting you saliva you dissolve it. it. No, let, you didn't say dissolve. You just said you're going to let your saliva do that. You're going to put it in your mouth and let your natural saliva do that. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Uh, number one for me is Doritos. Um, I like the nacho, the regular Dorito, but I, I don't turn down uh, Cool Ranch. So I've got Doritos, both of them up there. Uh, I won't turn down a Dorito. Now, I, now, I don't know about these all crazy flavors, so we'll just go with nacho cheese and Cool Ranch. I, I don't know about these extra crazy flavors. Do you remember Doritos 3D? Those are the coolest things ever. I do. It's in the it's in that same category of like the Pop Tarts bites. They weren't very they were just little bites, Pop Tart bites. I don't remember those. What? Mm-mm. They were so good. My my desert island chip is jalapeno cheddar crunchy Cheetos. Hmm, so good. You yeah. like the hot food, huh? And then when you finish eating the Cheetos, you get to lick the cheese dust off your fingers. Which I guess you can do that with any Cheetos, but that jalapeno cheddar cheese dust is just awesome. Well, you get to do the same thing with Doritos, so yeah. That's true. <sighs> well, all right. I think that's it for us. Uh, we're going to have another one coming this week. Uh, Danny and myself will be on. We'll discuss his picks. We'll discuss everything me and Danny or me and Aaron talked about. I'm sure we'll get into the Fitz debate again. Uh, as always, Danny will probably be very opinionated about Mississippi State, a school he does not root for. So, and we'll see how mad he can make Aaron. Uh, but that's going to do it from us at the Lodge. We'll see y'all next time. <laughs>